welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I interview Zach Goldman, managing partner of Sterling Park. Zach and Goldman Park are one of the better known high-end insurance planning operations in Canada. And I brought them in to discuss why business owners need to consider insurance and the key benefits of it. With that, here's my interview with Zach. Hello, Zach. What's going on? Well, you're here for a podcast. That's what's going on. Well, I'm very excited. It is actually my first podcast. Well, great. This is your podcast for Ginny being broken. Okay. Uh, very excited. I'm taking it. <laughs> I don't want to. It's probably a family show, so this, I'm not going to elaborate just went, this, on that. This went sideways, okay? Right. So, no, no. So, Zach Goldman, you're from managing partner of Sterling Park. Zach is a very well-known insurance expert in Canada and one of the top performers that I've come across, if not in the world, in the country, period. And I brought him in to t- discuss various topics surrounding insurance and business. So why don't you give us a little bit about your background and the company and what it does? I'm one of those strange people that actually got into insurance early on. We always find insurance people, it's a second career and there's no, no, not putting that down. But at the age of 24, I actually said, I want to go into the insurance business. I quickly realized there were voids in the market and that those voids were, wasn't really sure how advice was being given. And if the advice wasn't always in the best interest of the client and quickly realized that I wanted to create a firm that there's not many like. And what we did, what we've created is a, is a firm in Toronto that has not only insurance expertise, but we have tax expertise and finance expertise. And we take those individual skill sets and we put that together and we build what I'll say is very applicable, strong insurance strategies for our clients. There's three insurance guys in the office, as well as my partner, who is a former tax lawyer. And it really adds just a tremendous amount of, uh, I'll say, I was going to say value to the clients, but it's actually value to us. It's amazing to have that. And it's a great resource. And I'd say we're probably the only firm in the city that has this, but I could be wrong. Well, you're the most sophisticated setup I've come across. So that, there's my endorsement. Well, I think that sophistication's because there was such a lack of sophistication in the market. Agreed. And people were given advice in very... And- but in fairness, let's be honest, you're not a mass market person. Like you're not, you're building, you're, your structure is not built for the average T4 employee earning 60000 a year looking to insure their mortgage. You're, you're catering towards the top of the, of the food chain, specifically around business owners who have the most complex needs. Certainly. And that, it, you've nailed it right on the head. Uh, what we've happened is we knew right at the beginning when we started to build this, I started working with the mass market and I, I wanted the firm. I realized the business owners were the ones that, <laughs> as you know, as we were talking about when we before we just started this, are the ones who are the backbone of the country, but continue to be the ones that are being picked on lately, picked on, yeah. oppressed. I just, I wait to the next budget and we will see what happens, but it's the business owners. Yep. So if we can open people's eyes to insurance and not that cheesy salesy way, but actually a factual number based. Evidence based way. Yeah, no, it makes sense. That's why we do it. And, and I think that's why we have success in doing it. Yep. But that's, yeah, that's who we work with. I mean, we, we will literally work with 25 family slash business owners in a year developing their insurance strategies. Yeah, and some of that directly, some of that with other advisors like myself, collaboratively, and 
in all honesty, I think what I love about your approach is that you are as evidence-based as I've seen, right? So you guys analyze all of it, the, the entire situation, show them what the world looks like without insurance, come up with the entire plan and show them how in many ways, what people think is an expense ends up being a massive ROI when you factor in the way things move. I love the, what you just said. Many people think it, it's an expense. Absolutely. I have, I have spent years and, and sitting in meetings and where people go, oh, it costs so much. And um, early on in my career, someone said, but compared to what? And yeah. I think that's what the evidence-based exactly. approach is. Yeah, insurance has a premium, but there is other alternatives. And, and if people don't always understand those alternatives, it can be detrimental to their, what the business they built, the real estate they hold. I, I'll give you a quick example. I was, um, think of a family that we're working with. They have, this is a third generation real estate family. They have a tax bill. So to give some background, they have put some planning in place. There is an estate freeze that had taken place on the parents. The children had some growth. And now when I say some growth, understand, I think anybody that's owned real estate in the last 10 to 15, 10 to 15 years 15 in Toronto, years, yeah. some growth is massive growth. Yeah, double, triple. They had a tax liability of $45 million. The parents did or their kids? Uh, the kids. Now, the kids are... That's a pretty effective freeze. <laughs> uh, the kids, let's let's be quite frank, the kids are not kids and the kids yeah. are 50 to 60 years old. So now they're looking at wanting to pass on the real estate empire to, to, to the their next kids. Yeah. But how do they pay the tax? And the reality was $45 million of taxes. Everyone says, oh, it's cash. If I have cash or I'll sell an asset, it's not $45 million. No. You got to get that money out of your company. And as we all know, you have to take a dividend. You have to sell your assets. Yeah, you have uh, to pay tax just to get the money out to pay the tax, which yep, is just right. the most frustrating part of it all. Which is, I will say, the smartest business people I know still sort of... They know that's there, but they forget that it's there. These individuals, and we were doing some planning, and we don't we don't think insurance is the be all and end all, but when we gave them their alternatives, this is what their alternatives was. It was to pay a dividend out of the corporation. I'd say we they're gonna sell their assets and pay a dividend out of the corporation. We had we had figured that was gonna be about sixty-five to seventy million dollars. They're gonna take cash out of the corporation, they're gonna pay a dividend. Again, we thought that was gonna cost them this is all to net the forty-five hmm. million. It was gonna it was gonna cost them um, sixty million dollars. And then we could do an insurance strategy and it was gonna cost them six. But you want to hear the craziest thing? So let's call it for arguments. Let's be clear. Six million over the expected lifespan of those people. Over 10 years. Yeah, over 10 years. There we go. So 10 years. Their alternative was, and even if we present and valued the numbers, it, we were far, far less expensive. Do you want to hear the best story? <laughs> I do. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't do it. What was the reason? Their advisor suggested that they sell real estate and use cash. So, oh, Sorry. Uh, so you may have heard this, but I just facepalm myself. So instead of spending six million over t over ten years to basically produce forty five million to liquidate to take over the entire, entire tax liability, bill. yep. Their advisor basically told them sell off sixty million in assets after tax. You need to generate after tax sixty million like corporately yep. to then pay that out personally to then pay another fifteen million in tax personally. And 45. So this is this is you know one of the reasons why I brought Zach in is look I understand a lot of people have reticence about insurance. And I think a lot of it goes back to the way it was sold in the first place. Door to door was the origin of this thing, right? And you know the insurance industry takes in tons of people who have a pulse, and you don't necessarily get the the best result there, right? But the professionals like Zach get besmirched by them in the general populace's mindset. But I think anyone who's listening right now is smart enough to know that six million is a hell of a lot less than 60 
and again, 60 after-tax corporate, so that's probably even more pre-tax corporate. So I, for the life of me, can't understand what in God's name was going through that guy's mind other than a just general distaste for insurance that's unfounded. You want to hear something crazy? I'm going to say maybe it is founded. Why is that? Because I know that's shocking coming from No, the, no, the, the, I mean, I hear I, both sides of the because argument. Because you just said it. Yeah. I think the vast, I think there is... Uh, this industry does not hold itself up to standards that it should. Correct. People are not, do not have the expertise, the background, the letters behind their names. <laughs> not me. that letters yep. mean everything, but it certainly means more than if you don't. It's an indication of education. Right. And it's a bunch of people that have learned to sell and don't actually understand what they're selling. Absolutely. Now, if we, we take that into account, so I understand it. I understand that there's a bias. I, I understand there's a bias. So, correction, it's founded based on people's, the behavior of the people, not the product's value itself. Correct, so yeah. it's this behavior of people, and then people think people are commission-oriented. That's, trust me, there's easier ways to make a living than, than selling insurance, and people could do that. It's, it is, as any business owner knows, it's, it's hard to go get clients, and that's the insurance business, and then there's factors beyond your control. Well, the average, I can't remember the statistic, the average insurance advisor in Canada, number. what's the number? It was actually something crazy. This was like, it was like 37, thousand to 49,000 yeah, like yeah. and that was gross income when they had to run their business out off yes. of that. The vast majority, but that's why there's a bias because the vast majority yeah. of these people should, people in, in the insurance business shouldn't be in the insurance business. Exactly. But there's also the 80-20 ball. Let's just say there's the, you know, like in any, any avenue in life, the top performers produce orders of magnitude more than that. But sure. that's like saying, okay, so the average guy who starts hockey never gets to the NHL. Okay, great. That's true. But the guys who get to the NHL and get to the top of the NHL who get the biggest salaries, Geez, did they sacrifice beyond belief to get there? Did they work hard to get there, right? Just True. like anyone True. in this level. True. And that's why we run a business. And that's why we have seven people in the office. And which is, as you know, is not usual for an insurance firm. They're lucky to have an assistant. They're lucky to not have an office. <laughs> that's true. So I think, I think the bias is justified in some regards. Now, well, it's a self-inflicted wound on the, by the industry. Exactly. Yeah. We're trying to change that. Yeah. But saying that, if you can't look at the numbers and see what they really mean, so this advisor didn't look at the numbers, didn't care to look at the numbers, and uh, she had made her mind up well before we even entered the room, I get it. But who does that harm? The client. The client is the only one, you know, the other trusted advisor's bias against it only harms the client, right? And I've had, you know, I've had my instances with accountants also who've been reticent to do anything involving insurance until you put the numbers in front of them and they look at you. And you try to do this when the client's not around so that they can save face. But they look at you and they're like, this can't be right. How does this work? How are they making money? Like these other, don't, anyone out there, don't stop to think that your accountant or your financial advisor plan or whatever else it is. Even maybe your, your base, maybe your insurance advisor, if they're at a low level, has actually taken the time to understand just mm -hmm. how how this works, right? Accounts don't really get any training on this, but they get told all this stuff that they hear, like buy term invested difference. Wouldn't we? We'd be better off if we just saved the money, like all that sort of stuff, right? And it's just the reality with insurance is it is a payment that happens on a periodic basis that leads to a much larger payment later on that is tax free. And especially when you throw the tax code in when it comes to corporations, like it is a mechanism for taking money out of a corporation tax free, which show me another mechanism for that. There's, there's not many. Exactly. And that's why I say in the current environment, and especially with the current government that was just elected, we believe that insurance will be a tool and is the tool to 
to do planning. Yep. I sat. I was sitting with a lawyer, a uh, tax lawyer that I that I know, and he and I said, "So, so what's going on? What are you doing?" He's like, "Well, not much anymore because a lot of the planning that we used to do can't be done." He, and he looked, he looked at me. He says, "I may be selling insurance in a couple of years," and I knew he was joking, but it was it was serious. Yep. But again, I I stepped back because. Why did he say that? It's because, and this this guy actually has a bias against insurance, but he uses it because what he needed to see was were the numbers. He needed factual proof. Mm-hmm. He needed more than just an illustration. But there's so many opportunities in today's market for business owners and insurance. And if if they appreciate to get away from the old the insurance is being sold and actually look at the facts and look at how this insurance compares to other alternatives, I think they'd be pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying, this is the thing I'm not saying, I'm saying I'm not saying insurance is the be-all and end-all. No. It's just one tool of many that, that yeah. should be incorporated in the plan. It has to fit the situation and the evidence should point towards using it. I mean, we see plenty of lawsuits where that's not the case. There was a recent one out in BC with a former NHL star who's, uh, who's uh, did you see this one? The is he not also suing for like the returns that, he, that were generated? It, like, was, it was more so failure, failure of duty across the board because he didn't have enough cash to generate to, to maintain his lifestyle. But this guy sold him three $10 million life policies, which were all whole life, right? And I know someone who knows this guy's like, yep, he believes whole life's the only solution at a young age. And he wasn't, you know, he's, he's out before these policies start to amass a lot of cash value, which was the long-term goal. And, you know, that guy got paid easily, can't even imagine, but let's just say in the high six figures to yeah. basically place all that. So there's a massive conflict there. And uh, what I found interesting was one of the things that was in that lawsuit was that the quote unquote financial planner failed to deliver any form of financial plan. So right. it's one of the first cases I'm seeing where what you're holding out is having an impact on what the lawsuits look like, which is what they should, quite honestly. And I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it was a $30 million contract. His plane contract. I was reading it, and it was so. This guy insured all three, all thirty million from death. I think the guy was insuring that he could pay his mortgage rather than insuring that he was insuring the client correct. I know it's expensive to live in BC, but I mean, maybe not that expensive. (laughs) Where where I see it, where and unfortunately, I see it. Like we are asked to look at not just client cases, what we can do for planning, but cases that have been put into place already, and we're asked to give our opinion on it. Oh yeah, and this is the issue that I have, and. It's that whole specialist argument. I always think it's a bit cheesy when people talk about it, but it, it does come into place. The vast majority of, of cases where I see things are upside down is where the individual doesn't have a true expertise yep. in it. So where do I, where, where have we seen it? We've seen, and I, and not present company because a present company Thank is you. much different, but- uh, I'll defend myself in a minute, go ahead. Yeah, vast majority <laughs> yeah. of investment advisors that have very, who wrote the exam, but have, have done one policy in their life, yeah. are giving advice to clients that is not necessarily on insurance is not honestly correct. It is where we are seeing property and casualty advisors. Yeah, getting into the business. Getting into the business because of the revenue. And what's happening is they're just, I actually laugh because I see them just send like illustrations out to people and actually yep. not even, so there's no conversation. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing advice from people that are not actual experts mm-hmm. in that one silo. And that's where I think we get into a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of issues. And that's why I keep on going back. The bias is justified, but who loses out of all this is the client. Insurance in a corporate setting, I'll say especially a corporate setting, and maybe we'll talk about this briefly, is really an opportunity. Absolutely, from many standpoints. Many. So let's look at insurance. Why does insurance work? Are the insurance companies the smartest uh, people in town and they can invest your 
invest your money better? No. no. They're good with money long term. They're good. Why does insurance work? Tax. And, and mortality credits, but continue. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Tax and mortality. Those are the two things that make insurance work. And people, if they just took that away from this conversation and they sat there and they said, okay, now, are we going to see, let's talk about, I always say the thing that I'm asked literally in every meeting, do we think there's going to be changes to insurance soon? Again, sometime, who knows? Yeah. I don't think anything in today's world is free from change. I will say this, 2017, we had some, I'll call them major changes to insurance. Putting it lightly. I can't imagine that they're coming back to insurance. No. And quite frankly, as my partner says, insurance, even in a corporate setting, and especially in a personal setting, insurance is benefiting two groups. Now, think about this, and I know it's something everyone's gonna say, yeah. come on, widows and orphans. So as crazy as that sounds. Who goes after widows and orphans? At, I don't think it's where you're picking your well, fights. I would actually say that done right, it, it, it's positive for all parties involved, including the government. They don't see it. I know what you're going to say. I know they don't see it. I know they don't see it. I know what you're going to say. But the reality, and you, were gonna, you, know, you know where I'm coming from, is that it provides, for families like that with massive tax bills, it provides immediate cash flow to deal with that tax necessity and lessens the burden to CRA to collect. It is amazing you say it. We talk to families that have huge tax bills. And let me let me say, huge tax bills can be 100,000 to 100 million. It's all relative. It's all context. Yeah. It's, it's all relative to yeah. who you are. I can tell you that we, we talk to families who, who are, are billionaires and you would say, oh, they're just gonna write the check. No. No. They actually don't have the liquidity. No to actually write those checks. It's amazing, you know, here's the thing, and, and business owners listening to this podcast are probably the best group to understand that, right? Because especially in cases of divorce where liquidity becomes an immediate issue, you guys know that what you're worth on paper isn't what you're worth in your bank account, right? And the, the reality is, is that you pass away, you get divorced, you have some sort of need for liquidity. We can all get, you know, any business owner can get pretty constrained at that time. Right, and you would, you would hope that the government and CRA would look and say, boy, insurance provides us us, the capital from that tax bill. Yep. You hope, and that's where I, I knew you were going with yeah. it, but I still sit there and I go, I would hope that they would see that and understand it. I just don't sometimes know. Yeah, and you know what, like think about this on the like, large scale. Like think about like publicly traded corporations where founders are still involved and still have a large amount of shares, right? So imagine the Zuckerbergs, the Gates, the Buffets of the world, where they may own a double digit amount of percentage of the total company. And when they die, massive tax bill. Now, different in the US than it is here, but same basic principle. For them to actually liquidate enough money, enough shares to basically bring up the cash actually would have a negative effect on the stock price and hurt every investor. So this is not, you know, this is something that they should be concerned about is, you know, you know how CRA is when it comes to tax collections. Anyone who's ever had this issue knows the same thing. It's like the mob. It's like, oh, really? You can't make it too bad. Pay me. Like they get paid first on everything and they want it yesterday. So you would think that they would hopefully be like, oh, nice of you to put insurance in place. That's fantastic. Right. Now you can pay that bill. But we don't, I'm not sure if they say thank you. No. And, uh, when does CRA ever say thank you? Well, I get I get a lot of calls from CRA, but it's not the it's always from like a different country. The CRA guys and they're asking me to pay Chinese them, and yeah. they're pay, <laughs> pay them in Bitcoin. So yeah. I, I figure it's not. Right. Uh, it's I'll not, have it's a great conversation legit. with one of them. So we've been we've been talking about the industry in general and giving some background on, on the misconceptions. I think that's very valuable. Let's talk about the use cases, some of the basic use cases for insurance with business owners. And you know, because frankly, we can go on for hours about this because some of the most intricate and complex and beneficial comp, uh, solutions for insurance involve corporations. So yeah. let's start scratching the surface. Um, in your mind, give me a couple of the, the biggest hitters. So I'm actually gonna go 
You always from go the, sideways from where I do. Sideways, but I'm gonna go, I always, because it's just the way this that I go. This is the way you are. I, I think we got to go two places, and I'm going to start, I think insurance for a corporation, there, there's two ways we can talk here. We can talk about the protection, and we can talk about creating sort of that legacy. Yeah. I actually hate that word, so I'm going to change my word, legacy. Continuity. Continuity. Yeah. Just capital preservation. Yeah. So, well, a lot of business owners have done, made their wealth, have grown the businesses on their own. They may have a partner, that be a sibling, that be a friend, that be somebody they know that they've gotten in the business with. The easiest use for insurance is the partnership. Absolutely. Agreement. And the most common one that people think of. The most common one. Do you know what's funny? Mm -hmm. It's the most common one that's- Also not done. Also not done, also not sufficient, and they're- Structured improperly. Oh, we had, we saw one once, and I, there, it's it's changing, but I'll give you two things on this. We saw one uh, shareholders agreement. So what we'll do is we'll ask to see the shareholders agreement of a client's when it's a partnership because when we're looking at it let's look at everything to make sure everything's done so we look at the, we look at the shareholders agreement and we're reading it in the the value of the company will be will be equal to the value of the life insurance yeah I, we've had this conversation i've heard this story so I, i've told that this story I love hilarious it. so I've, i walked into the client and i knew the guy so i was i was joking around i said okay so i'm gonna i want to buy your business i'm going to write you a check for five hundred thousand dollars he looked at me he told me that to, to go fly a kite and that what didn't say that he said something much meaner and he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, well, have you read your shareholders agreement? You have a half a million dollars of term coverage. And the reality is that's the value of your business as per how it's written. The business was worth $10 million. Yeah. So let's talk about on, on the, on the most. How many screw ups in that, in that case there were? Cause. But that's not uncommon. Yeah. So, and but, but here's the other crazy thing, just for, let's imagine he had died. Okay. And let's imagine that was an arm's length transaction, right? That was a family member. That was the partner, right? CRA was it with completely within their normal playbook to come and say, excuse me, $500,000 to your brother or to your sibling or to your spouse or whatever it was. No, no, no. This business was worth $5 million. Here's the tax bill on the $5 million. Yeah. I don't care if you have the money or not. That's almost, that was like, that's literally the next point as well because so, people don't yeah. realize that, but you're 100%. Yeah. So there's so many issues with that. But the lowest hanging fruit here, it's you have a business, you have a partnership, you've Blood, sweat, and tears, if I always say to people, just look at the shareholders agreement and make sure it's actually funded to a sufficient amount. And revisit it frequently. Frequently, and it's not. It never is. We go back every three years to clients yep. and we ask. I'm always hesitant because I don't want to be the insurance guy that looks like he's selling insurance and just like, but I, the reality is we just, we want to know. And the other thing well, I'll say with that, and, and I'll move on, is people should consider the capital dividend account. That's how the capital can actually come out to the, this yeah. all depending on how the insurance is held, but how the, the capital comes out of the, um, the, the yeah, so let's, let's talk about that quickly because it's going to be another podcast. But it's this—it's not an account that sits on your finance, on your balance sheet or income statement anywhere. It's basically a notional account, and what goes into this notional account is half of the capital gain on anything and the insurance proceeds above something called the adjusted cost base. We're not going to get into that, but it's the majority of the insurance proceeds in most cases, if not the entirety. And the benefit and beauty of this account is that money can be paid out tax-free to the shareholders. So that's something to ask your accountants about so you understand that. But maximizing that is a great tax planning strategy, and insurance is the biggest way to do that. So. Zach, if you want to pick up? So I'll, I'll pick up from there. So that's actually a great lead into the next segment. So when you, but you also have to make sure that your shareholders agreement actually mentions the capital dividend account and who has the right to that capital Correct. dividend account. That is, that is something that we see often neglected. 
So let's talk about the capital dividend account. It is a wonderful notional account that it's is my created. Favorite account. <laughs> we, we love it. Created by insurance. <laughs> yeah. And it's something that it actually will say it is the mechanism that certainly helps insurance work so well in a corporate setting. Yeah. So we've talked about how it works. So I'm not going to. You've literally just spoken about it, so I'm not going to rehash that. But let's talk about why it's so important. So. To me, what are we seeing in today's world? We're seeing clients that are leaving, I'll say, as much capital in their in their holding company as possible. Yeah, because they're paying 50 cents on a dollar or above in most provinces now. Right. It's an income tax personally. Sorry. Even with the new tax rules, it's still still people everyone's leaving it in the in the corporation mm -hmm. and they're taking out what they need. And what we're finding is people don't need all that capital. And they're, Some of it's just there for the next generation, right? They don't need to live off of it. Right. It's there and they don't need to live off of it. So how do you get it to your family? And most people say, hey, I'll die. My, my family has the estate. They get what they get. Yeah, well, now they're paying a dividend. is pretty much off the table to most, uh, most families. If they don't yeah. do any tax planning, I think we have the number at 64% tax because it's not, yeah. it's the dividend. It's the value of the corporation. It's so many layers of tax. Yeah. Now, let's hope to God that you have a good tax advisor. Yeah. And that taxes be they they do some yeah. tax planning for you, but and where we're getting that just to briefly go over that is when you die, the capital gains on the value of your shares is realized. But then, what about the investments you have in your corporation? Right, right. if they have capital gains, there's taxes due on those. And then by the time you flow out that, like say they want to shut down that holding company, they get to pay dividend tax on the money coming out. So there's actually three different levels of tax there, right? right? And when you do all the math and add that all up, you are well north of 60%. Oh, it is. It is wild. I've seen 75 in some cases. It's uh, And the reality nuts. is people are like, well, they're never going to wind down the company. Of course they will. Of course will. they are. They're going to want to access that money. We're not all uh, Jimmy and yeah. Susie are not going to get along. They're going to have different patterns of how they like to invest. Yep. And they're going to want to make sure they get their capital. Trust me, we see, we see it. So what do you do? Like the alternative, and if is to use insurance. Yep. In the insurance, as we spoke, there's that the mortality credit. So if I buy a million dollars of insurance, the total premium may cost me three hundred thousand dollars. I'm giving an example. I, I could be less. It could be more. That's over a lifetime or payment period, right? Correct. Not yeah. that one time the lump sum. So there's already a benefit there. What we do, and we think is important, we do an internal rate of return. So what would you have to earn on an outside investment to? Mm -hmm to get that and to invest the, the premiums that generate the million dollar death benefit. What's interesting is I don't think that's the real number. The real number is something we call the equivalent return. Yes. So the equivalent return is, it's not what the money does in your corporation. What would you need to get on an, an investment inside your, your holding company to actually net the same insurance amount? Personally. Personally. And that's a great number. And that's, if you that's actually look at it, yep. it's a big number and it's it's a real yeah. number and it's nothing to shake a stick at because most people say insurance is a bad investment. And I look at it, I say, it's a, if the IRR makes sense, then, then let's do it. Because that's, because yeah. again, it goes back to being factual rather than opinion. Yeah. And well, let's just look at a simple example. Like, let's assume that the return on that policy is, let's call it just a conservative 5% because you live a long time, right? Now, I mean, if you die after the first paycheck, or the first check, then that number is in the, Very you know, 10,000. Yeah, like, yeah, it's the greatest return in the history of mankind, but you're dead. But let's just say it's 5% 5 because in a corporation because you basically, you know, lived a long time. Now, on a guaranteed basis, that's not bad, but that's 5% tax-free. But it also, 
also, let's not also forget that that money can flow out to you personally, tax-free. So you're clearing two different levels of tax, both corporate and personal. So you're saving 50 cents on the dollar there, now you're up to 10. It's very possible you end up with a situation where it's almost a tw equivalent to a 20% rate of return. And it really, whether it's whether that money's intended to pay the government off, or whether that money's intended as a mechanism for getting money out of the corporation, it's by the time you factor in the taxes to what you look like as a low return, and realize that's a net, not a gross, it would take a monumental return to equal that in some cases. So that's why when we speak with clients, it's one of the things we look at. What are you trying to achieve? So if we're trying to achieve, they have this capital. And in today's world, I think people have made uh, some money doing mm -hmm. on, on various things and they're not gonna spend everything that they have. Yep. So it is an efficient way to get capital out of the corporation to the estate. Exactly. And when you look at it, as on a return basis that we just spoke about, that's one of the main things. Insurance in a corporation is not to be used for an insured retirement plan, boring personally against it. It's about to be used at death when something happens. And that, as easy as that example is, it certainly is one that is strong. And I say, I always say to people, I said, you don't have the ups and downs. You know, you have an idea of where you're going with your life insurance mm -hmm. and it will get there and it's a hell of a return. Actually, a hell of a return than most other things. And the convenience factor at death. I mean, that's the other thing. The entire guy, the guy who basically said, I'll just sell off assets. You know, if there's stocks and bonds, that's one thing, right? You know, you're hoping that that death doesn't happen when the market's in the toilet. But if it's real estate, yeah, right? Real estate, it's... How long is it gonna take to clear a commercial building? Well. You're, right. you're making the assumption that they actually own it out, own it without partners. Oh, that's the other thing too, right? Is our partnership agreement on those properties or in that business? Like, it's such a nightmare liquidity, if you don't plan Liquidity yeah. is, I would say, the biggest thing. Liquidity, if lack of liquidity is, is bankrupted countless people. Right. Right. So, and people, and the alternative is, in which most people say would be, we'll just get a loan. And it's, well, your loan is going to be far more expensive. Your exactly. Loan, your loan, and there's a whole. So now you'd rather pay interest than receive it? You're going to pay interest. You're, you're, yeah. you're, the cost of the policy will be less than your interest cost. And now you have to pay principal and interest. So we see, we see insurance now, the vast majority of our clients, they have excess capital in the corporation. And excess capital being, it's not a huge sum, but just excess capital in the corporation. People that are trying, wanting to pay a tax bill, knowing they have a tax bill, have done planning. Many people now are, are we're finding, and maybe for some, it's a weird thing, but everyone's, a lot of people are doing planning. They're they're doing freezes. They, they know what their, their, mm -hmm. their tax bill is going to be, and they're funding that, that tax bill. Well, I mean, part of it's just natural. We're about to face the largest intergenerational wealth transfer of all time, right? So you're looking at, I think naturally, a lot of these People have kids that are, sorry, adult children that are now working in the business right. that are probably past a couple of years of being in it to the point where they know they can they can pass that on, right? If that's your situation as a business owner, then frankly, the first thing your accountant's going to tell you is well, you need to do an estate freeze because that makes perfect sense, you know, especially if the kids are the ones driving the business forward, they should be rewarded for it. And then the second piece is, you know, you're going to have, how are you going to finance this when you die? And I think that's what it comes down to. The vast majority of our of most people, I'm going to say it something differently. I think that most people say, I can afford to pay it. And that's why I don't need insurance. But the reality is, of course you can. You, yeah. You've built a business. You're doing well. You could. You could use your own capital. But why would you? Well, it's, it's but it simple. also comes down to, would you rather spend 6 or 45 to cover the same bill? Yeah, you're right. Like, 
I, I don't understand. To me, it's like, would you tip the government $39 million? I think people do. And I think that they are. I think that's basically it. I mean, as opposed to, I mean, imagine the government gave you a program as a business owner where they would give you the same kind of return as insurance, but it was a prepayment of your taxes. And you, you were given the choice of, hey, your liability, because you froze it, is going to be $45 million. But instead of that, what we'll do is we'll let you pay, if you, we're not gonna, if you pay six over the next 10 years, then we'll ignore that when you pass away. Imagine that deal was on the table. Like, picture this, right? I, I'm trying to figure From out CRA. how we can, we can call CRA and make, <laughs> this happen. And we yeah. make it happen. But imagine that was the case. Do you know how many business owners would line up to take that deal? But you slap the word insurance on it, and suddenly it's got this misnomer to it. I have a mentor. He's great guy and his great friend and he's involved and he's done everything from manufacturing to real estate and he he owns a lot of insurance mm -hmm. i didn't do any of it he has about 75 million dollars of insurance he has a tax bill and he, and, he, and he will say to this day it's the greatest thing he owns he also yeah. says just change the name just change the name yeah just can we call it something else he said if you called it something else people would buy it a reverse annuity because <laughs> you just described you just described it. Yeah. So as a business owner who has capital, trying to figure out what to do and trying to put my affairs in order. And now let me say this: in order that I'm not making myself poor on insurance premiums yeah. and over planning, but just doing things yeah. in a natural way. Insurance has a big yeah. opportunity, but you have to be willing. And I will say this: you need to look at the numbers. Don't just Trust and illustration. Ensure that somebody who's no. doing your planning is sitting there and really doing the comparison. What are your options? How does this fit into your overall plan? Yeah. When someone does that, and it shouldn't be difficult. The only reason insurance is difficult is because I think people try to, people being insurance people, try to justify, not their existence, but their... their when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That's right. basically it, so right? Just, just, it should be easy. The numbers should be there. And it works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I had a simple non-business owner case. It was just recently, it was a friend. Uh, sister is disabled, mother doesn't have a ton of money, but they're worried about supporting the sister when the mother dies. And they said, look, is insurance a solution? I said, is your mother healthy? And they said, yes. I said, look, we're just gonna look at the numbers. And sure enough, I looked at the numbers. The mother's at a certain age and she's also diabetic. So in that case, we looked at the numbers and at life expectancy, the return was only about 4% in her case, right? So, you know, they're not too keen on it. And I said, look, it's a toss up. Like these are, you know, it's, it, we don't know when she's going to pass away, but if she did tomorrow, you'd have this money. If you didn't, you're better off investing. It's going to be a decision for you guys. Now, if those numbers had instead been, imagine the situation in life expectancy where the return was seven, and still, if she lived beyond that, still in the pretty good single digits, then they would have done that in a heartbeat, right? It's right. about, it's it, when, when people say you need X, you know, what, you know what drives me nuts in this industry? The, you need three times your income or whatever number they pull out of their butts. Like, where does this, how does that apply to anything, right? Like, if you're not doing an analysis, first and foremost, or with a corporation seeing what, you know, in your situation, which you, you do all the time, here's what's going to happen if you die. This is the tax bill. And then you go into the options and the last one's insurance. And guess what? In most cases, it is the smallest number, right? If you're not getting that kind of analysis to explain why it is you should be putting this kind of money into a plan like this, then you need to talk to someone else. And back to your point on specialists, like, you know, I am a comprehensive planner. I'm all, I have an expertise in a little bit of everything, our deep expertise in planning and in tax and on the investments, a little bit on the investment side, but we do uh, delegate out on some of that as well. But I, despite the fact I have more letters behind my name than in them, and I'm a member of some of the organizations that you are a member of too, that deals with this on a regular basis, still turn to guys like you to work collaboratively when it gets to a point where it's like, okay, this corporation is a little too 
complex. The structure is a little too complex for my comfort level. And the stakes are so high that I would rather split income with someone who can, ba can basically do the work on this than risk screwing it up. Right? We, we appreciate it. Yep. But as you know, we believe you have to work with experts. Absolutely. And not for you. Again, it's for your client. Yeah. And that's really what it is. It's for the client. And that's where we see it. And that's why it, it drives me up the wall when you sit down with somebody and you ask a client why they did something and, they, and there's no there's no recollection why they did it. And yeah. you know why? Because no one's told them why. They, yeah. No one's put it on a piece of paper. Well, now we have to with this thing called the reasons why letter. But even though I've seen some of these reasons why are pretty slim, like needed insurance. Yeah, like that's, oh, that's, that's great. That's a, to that's die a, with a second, yeah. earn your living, provide value. And yeah. I think value is a, excuse my friends, a bullshit word, but provide value to your client. Yeah. Our clients, business owners, individuals, they work hard every day. This is not something they should worry about. We're trying to take the pressure off them to ensure whatever they have built, whatever they have built, and ensure that it gets either passed along or they receive value for it. Remember, some of these people, have, some of the people that are listening have built these businesses that may not survive to the next generation. Maybe right. it's dependent on that individual, but at least their family will have something yeah. because of this. I think insurance is such a strong tool when properly used. Exactly. Uh, and unfortunately, when improperly used, it's a costly one, right? And that's why we have to, yeah. this is why everybody owes it themselves to not just go with the guy that was recommended, but you know, at the end of the day, make sure you're getting, you feel like you're getting top level caliber advice. The guy that we recommended, it's like, it's, it's always like, I used to, not as much anymore, but when we first got into the business, it's my brother's cousin. Yeah. Yeah, it's, always, it's it's you know three degrees of separation at most. It was or some, I went to school with this guy. Yeah, I went to school. I can find somebody. That's the problem. I, we would hear all these things. You need. There's nowhere else in life. And I've Look, seen everybody that. can play pickup hockey. Not everybody can score goals in the NHL, right. right? And frankly, if you're going to spend money on this sort of thing and make sure the longevity of your business is there, your family's there, you want the pro. Do you know what? It's funny you said you're going to spend money. The premium is the premium. Exactly. Let's assume that hopefully we're a little bit smarter and that we can structure it differently. But let's just assume the premium is the premium. If that's the case, and you're going to pay a premium, then work with the best people because you're probably going to get the best advice. Exactly. And that's, well, that's the thing is that the, if the need is the same across the board, then why spend the same amount of money on someone who's less good than the professional? And you know why people do it? I had a call this week. Convenience. Familiarity. Convenience. Because, well, Zach, I, someone came to me 10 years ago, I did a policy, I never heard from that individual again. Yep. So that's it. Yep. So the, the client's all within their right. I get it. There's a right to be apathetic. But we can't do it because of the value. Yeah. Now I'm going to leave you with one thing. Well, I'm going to hit two more topics before we go. I know, because I know what, I know what you're going to ask What am me. I going to ask? I'm you're going back to the core you. of insurance, man. We're going to go back to the core of insurance, but we're going to talk about insurance tracking shares, aren't we? I was going to bring in Jonah for that. Do you want to do that? <laughs> no, you bring in Jonah. Jonah's much smarter than I. That Jonah, so for people listening, the Jonah's my partner. He's my tax partner. He literally could do a whole portion on insurance tracking. So you insurance. tell me, you want to do it now or you want no, to do it? No, you know what? He's better because I will give like the 30,000 foot level. And that's again, why do I, why would I? Look at that. You're not even willing to talk about I'm it. I'm not willing to talk about it. The guy who works with you knows it better. He knows it better. There you I go. won't. And you know what? It's funny. Jonah in meetings will defer to insurance. 
insurance, the analysis of insurance to me. That's so, knowing your strengths. Like the pitcher doesn't catch, the catcher doesn't pitch, right? It like, is. But so what are the two things that you, see, I even came prepared. I thought you were going to ask me that question, but okay. That's so. all right. Well, I mean, we went a different way. But so the other two areas I want to talk, touch on, because I'm, I'm thinking about like fundamentals of, of business owner insurance and what it does. One of the things we haven't really talked about is the fact that we talked about what happens on death. But let's also discuss briefly about the fact that this is a tax shelter while you're alive. So the money that you're putting into these things, right? And there's different type, two different broad types of policies that we can fund with extra cash. Mm -hmm. One is a whole life policy where essentially insurance company in the background runs the money on your behalf and pays you dividends. And the other one is a universal life policy, which is like an investment account where you have to pick a certain number of funds or ETFs or GICs. But this all grows tax shelter. So let's talk about that in regard to the corporate surplus. It's like it's uh, it's the uh, curse of knowledge. I think we, <laughs> we, we just realize as it grows, but we never even forget to mention it half the time. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, there's two those two components of insurance. So there's the, the, the life insurance component, and then there's that cash value component. And especially now, but what we see is because people have this excess capital in their corporation, if you keep it in a, in a taxable investment, you get taxed on it once you dispose of those investments, be it on an annual basis, be whatever, whatever yeah. it is. And people don't realize this, but it's a passive rate. So that's that's not small business. That's fit, over 50% in Ontario. 50%. Yeah. It is huge. Yeah. The, when we do the numbers, it is shocking. Oh, and if you are over 50,000 now, you basically are going to have part of your small business deduction clawed back, yep. which, believe it or not, depending on what province you're in, we're talking about an extra dollar over 50,000 can result in tax of somewhere between 75 to $1.20. That is right, over, you can actually end up paying more than you made, believe it or not. Did you see that article that Jonah wrote? I don't think he I did. did. I'll, I'll send it to send you. Send it to me. It was great, it was, it was on that point. So what are people doing? Because yeah. this is- You need a tax shelter if you're gonna pay tax at 120. They need I a tax still shelter. fall over every time I hear that. But, and yeah. the tax shelter, and I'll give you the analogy. People say it's just like a TFSA or an it RRSP, is. but it doesn't have any uh, limits in, in, in theory. I mean, there's some limits based on the amount but of insurance. far less than 6000 a year. Oh, right. sorry, far more than 6000 Far more. But insurance, In so imagine this. I'm going to give you some, this is what I love actually about it. So insurance, so you have corporate capital, and you put that corporate capital into an insurance policy. It pays the insurance premium, the excess premium that goes in, grows tax-free and it continues to grow over a long period of time and so you can imagine if you're able to defer tax on an investment for 20 30 40 years the effect of compounding is massive we did it we showed it a one percent difference once the effect of compounding mm -hmm. and it was in this that situation i can't remember the, all the numbers but it was significant millions of dollars that it, it, that it had an effect on it so that corporate capital grows tax-free, and at death, gets paid out tax-free. Yep. And in a lot of ways, that tax savings throughout the life of that policy, often more is in excess of what the actual premium was for the cost of insurance. So you have the cost of insurance, which the insurance company takes every month, right? and then you have the actual extra cash you have in there. Do you know what I love? Just on that, if we talk about, let's say, uh, this is where CRA doesn't like it, but continue. <laughs> right. But hey, they, I think they understand. Yeah. And, and again, they made changes. So let's, let's not say this is not like CRA's with the, under a rock did not, doesn't know. They made changes in 2017. Yeah. So I don't likely foresee for some time, unless we redo the entire tax code, that this is going to change. So let's, the thing that we I- We do need to redo the entire tax we code. We do, that's enough. <laughs> but what is interesting is, and I like about it, and I do with my own policy is, now, 
at year 10, I say, okay, you know, there's a, there's a lot of capital in my policy. So now I've put in capital in my policy, premium on an annual basis. It's grown tax-free. And at the 10th year, I have tax-free capital paying the premium. Yep. And then at death, it comes out tax-free. Tax and yep. then plus, the, like, yep. then you couple that with the insurance. There's not many things. And this is why we're saying, like, these numbers get crazy. These numbers get crazy. Yeah. We do the analysis all the time. Yeah. And we make sure that, you know, when we're looking at rates, we're using the proper rates. But that 50.17 is crazy. Yeah. So that's why insurance works. I said at the beginning, it's one of the reasons is tax. That's why it works. Yeah. So if you don't need all the capital, and if you've done, if you've done a proper financial plan, and you realize this, Insurance should be one of the tools you use to get capital to the next generation, being your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. And I'll say one of the biggest areas that we're doing right now, you know what it is. Charities. Charities. Oh my God. No, yeah. Charities. Usually, but I've got another episode on that coming up. Sorry, it's not you. Were, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be someone else. Uh, I got to spread it around amongst the friends, you know? <laughs> that's, hey, listen, yeah. but that's, that's where we see it. And Excellent. that's, so it's a hell of a tool. So, and that's what people are using. And that's why we, that, that tax, I'll call tax deferred to tax free growth, depending yeah. on what happens. Like, I don't want to say one thing. I think people, some things could happen and you never know. You might have to take the capital out. No, let's be, let's be quite frank. If you have to take yeah, but the there's still out. flexibility for us to access that capital in multiple ways, right? It's not like it's locked in there with like, if you, you know, need the yeah. money, there are ways to get yeah. it. And that's, what's also interesting. I mean, I think you have to be careful of certain yeah. ways that people suggest to get it. I don't think you could. Our own personal view at our firm is you can't take the corporate asset and get a personal loan against it. <laughs> There's an entire civil, uh, sorry, a, superior, a Supreme Court case on that entire issue. With the, the famous, we Galini. think it, yeah, and we think it's garble, we got whole other issues, but we're yeah. not gonna, but what we do think is that if you need, I know that if I needed to access that capital, if I need to get a loan against it, I need to wind down the policy, it's available. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, everyone says, oh, insurance is so inflexible, complete opposite. Oh no, oh my goodness. Like there's certain degrees of inflexibility, but as a whole, it's incredibly flexible. Yeah. So Zach, thank you for taking the time. Uh, where can people find you? Besides the gym, go on. I know, there's so many jokes there. I know. I, uh, for those of you who haven't got it yet, if I leave an open door for Zach, he's going to walk right through it. Where can people find you professionally if they wish thank to reach you. out thank to you? you. There we go. There's two places. Um, our website. I decided to change the name because everyone said it was. It used to be SterlingParkGRP.com. Very difficult. My partners would yell at me. I said I when I first started the company 15 years ago, that was was easy to get. So, but now SPF grp.com is a website mm -hmm. has our contact and i always think just linkedin zach goldman sterling park it's there yeah. i get those messages i love it because i think it's an easy way people i i actually am shocked i'm a i'm a dinosaur at 43 years old and i can't believe that people reach out to me that way and I get messages all the time, and that's how we, I, I talk to a lot of people as well there. LinkedIn's my number two source of communication yeah, after crazy. email these days. Yeah, yeah. But it works. Anyway, Zach, thanks a lot. And this is great. I'm sure hopefully uh, some people reach out to you, deal with the true professional when it comes to this stuff. Thank you. Thank you. So that was my interview with Zach Goldman. I hope you enjoyed that. I also hope that we didn't get too sidetracked and you came to understand what the be core benefits of insurance are within a corporation and how it can benefit you and the next generation. And with that, as always, I'm your host, Jason Pereira. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. 
For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.